This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And for listeners out there, we have a bit of a treat today. For the second time ever, we have a guest, and not just a guest, but uh, someone that I'm, I'm really excited, and I know Taylor is really excited to uh, speak with as well. The first book that Taylor ever recommended to me on writing was written by this gentleman and it was called the anatomy of story and i read that ooh, maybe six or seven years ago i don't know how long we've been doing this podcast now taylor in a while yeah but we have we have referenced that book a lot on this show and i had the opportunity to meet uh, the author john truby at a at a conference three or four years ago and we kind of hit it off and so we've reconnected every year and John has a new book out now on genre. So for people who don't know who John is, I'm going to just read from his Wikipedia entry to give you a little background. John is an American screenwriter, director, screenwriting teacher, and author. He has served as a consultant on over a thousand film scripts over the past three decades and is also known for the screenwriting software program Blockbuster, originally known as Storyline Pro. He's the anatomy of he's the author of Anatomy of Story, 22 Steps to Becoming a Master Storyteller, a book about screenwriting skills, which translates really well to, to writing. So, John, uh, welcome to the show. And thank you for being here. Stephen, it's great to be back talking with you and to be talking with you, Taylor. Uh, subjects that I love to go on about, and I can't can't wait to get into it. So one thing listeners uh, of this show will be familiar with through the years I mention every so often a conference that that I go to regularly which is the 20 books to 50k conference and and that's where I met you John and I'm curious since I go there all the time and I am a big fan of this conference uh you go to present uh you go to lots of conferences I'm curious what you think uh who you think the 20 books conference is for and why you why why you keep coming back? I love going to the Twenty Books Conference. First of all, it's beautifully run. You know, Craig Martell does a superb job, um, and you know it it really it deals with the problems that writers have, which is we're alone, we're trying to make our way, we're trying to create a story brand, and try to stand out from the crowd which is extremely difficult to do, both in terms of financially, marketing-wise, and also psychologically to do what we do. And the 20 Books Conference gives writers a community where they can share ideas and share information that covers all aspects of the writing life, including craft, including marketing, including, you know, how do you put ads on, Amazon and, and Facebook and so on and so forth. Um, because as writers, uh, and especially as indie novelists, we have to do it all. And I've just found no better place to get all of that information at the same time, along with meeting all kinds of people who are either have this information that we can learn from or that, that, uh, that are just fellow writers and we get to kind of be together once for once um, where we're not just doing it all by ourselves. Yeah. That that's, that's a great way of kind of encapsulating the conference and, and really conferences in general. And, and Taylor's a big uh, attendee of things like Thriller Fest and VoucherCon, things like that. And I know she really enjoys going to conferences and just connecting with people. Uh, so thank you for that, John. I just wanted to give our listeners sort of an outsider's view of the of the 20 Books Conference. Uh, we're talking about a book that you have written called The Anatomy of Genres, and Taylor has, uh, has, has read through a good bit of the book. 
she sees some very specific tie-ins to uh, the to the the information that we've been providing writers over the course of the last five or six years. So Taylor, why don't you get why don't you uh, get us all started? Okay. So I am very excited for this conversation. I'm excited to talk with John. I have, uh, of course, many questions for my from my own perspective, my own writing, and uh, if. If we get to that, you guys get to be along for the ride. But what excited me most was when I cracked it open and John's, the, the book starts out talking about story, what story is. And to me, it was like, yes, and thank you. Because this is something that we've harped on over and over and over in our discussions about writing. And specifically, I felt there was a very strong connection to a two-part uh, series we did a bit back, uh, episode 338 and 339, in which we talk about the philosophy of story. And it's been a while, and I know that not, of all, not all of our listeners have listened to every episode or are fully caught up. So before we got into discussing this book and how it can benefit you, I wanted to read a few excerpts from the notes from the, the shows that we did on philosophy of story, just to sort of bring us into the mindset of what we're looking at here. In that series, that two-part series, we started pretty much with an explanation about how our brains work, how they exist in a touchless, soundless, smellless, tasteless darkness. And it's the electrical signals that we're receiving that create what we perceive as reality and how what we do with that input is basically we create stories out of it that make sense of it for ourselves. And so with that as a background, we, and I'm going to read a quote here. It says, once we're able to internalize that story is a core part of the human experience and that it is impossible to separate one from the other, once we're able to understand that stories are the mechanisms through which we make sense of the world around us, we also begin to understand that every person carries within them an unspoken, unconscious expectation of what story is and what it should do. And if his story doesn't meet that expectation, we begin to withdraw from it, rejecting it as an artificial imposition on reality. It doesn't matter what form story takes. It doesn't matter if the story is truth or fiction. It doesn't matter if we're talking about heady, weighty philosophical discussions disguised as entertainment or the cheapest low-stakes brain candy. This expectation exists always, and that expectation is meaning. And when we speak of meaning, we're speaking of intent, of purposeful direction, of coherence and shape and form. In this context, meaning answers the questions, what is this about? Why does this matter? What is the point? And compelling and powerful stories are compelling and powerful, not because they directly mimic real life, but because they select and curate from real life to create something more. And this is just as true of nonfiction as it is of fiction and just as important to biographies and memoirs as it is to myths and legends. And the art of storytelling involves, it requires deliberate and intention and thought. And when that deliberation isn't thorough, when the material isn't manipulated and molded to the point where it steps beyond real life and becomes whole in itself, the audience is going to feel like you're just making it up as you go along. And that's another way of saying that to the outside observer, the story doesn't feel coherent, it doesn't feel purposeful, it doesn't know what it is or where it's going, and it doesn't provide order and meaning. And the best way that I can describe this book is to suggest that the opening chapter starts with a similar, if not identical, premise, and then spends the next nearly 700 pages doing a deep dive exploration into what that looks like in very practical terms on a genre by genre basis and goes even further by showing how it all ties together with theme. It's brilliant, really. So with, with uh, John Truby's uh, okay here, I want to read just a few very brief highlighted uh, paragraphs, sentences, paragraphs, clauses even from the opening chapter, which is the world as story. 
And then once I've done this, we're going to open it up for discussion and we'll see where we go. So here's the first highlight I've got is stories define life. And understanding the anatomy of a story is about much more than writing. It's also about knowing how to live. Story is innate to human beings. It's how we learn. It's how we process the world and how we find our place in it. If you understand story, you've got a framework for life. We're told that math and science are essential for our future success, while painting, music, and theater are extracurricular activities. Stories are diversions, something to take our minds off our troubles after a long day. There's something a few creative people write and even fewer get paid for while the rest of us enjoy stories in our spare time. Yet there's a different way of looking at things. Stories don't just serve as, a for, as forms of entertainment. They encapsulate everything from the basic organizing principles of the world to how we should live our, live our lives in it. Story is a philosophy of life expressed through characters, plot, and emotion. The purpose of this book is to reveal to the world the deep structures of story and genre. That's why this book can be read on two levels. The first provides specific technical information about how to write great stories that sell. The second explores philosophical issues with the kind of x-ray vision that can enrich and change everyone's lives. Many writers believe they can master their genre simply by focusing on, a, by tossing in a few tropes of the form. The trope is an individual story element, such as a character, a plot device, a theme and variation, a recurring image, or even a tagline of dialogue. The best authors understand that tropes are just the sprinkles on top. The real mechanism for a compelling bestseller is the strength, beneath, the structure beneath the tropes. And I might have a few more, but I think those were the ones that jumped out to me the most. And I was like, this is so good. I'm so exciting, excited. Oh, here's one. It says, transcending the genre means more than twisting the unique story beats to give audiences something they haven't seen. Hidden below the surface of these beats is a philosophy, an entire way of seeing and living in the world. So I am very, very excited about this. John, and I wanted to open this up to you to tell us about this book. What prompted you to write it, what you're most excited about in it, and what would you like our listeners to know? Well, first of all, that was a beautiful encapsulation of, of what is underlying this book. Um, as, as you mentioned, the, the opening title is the, the, the opening chapter title is The World as Story. And I think the real power of the book is found in the subtitle of the book, which is The Anatomy of Genres, How Story Forms Explain the Way the World Works. And as you were mentioning, you know, we always think of, well, we as humans, we tell stories. No, we are stories, beginning with the very first story, which is me. Um, and everything we do in our life, we do through me as the hero, with everyone else as other characters in my story. And so what I try to point out in the book is that stories give us two major things. One is they tell us how the world works. And two, they tell us how to live successfully in that. And because genres are types of stories, each genre is really a different window into how the world works and how to live successfully in that world. And to to you know, to give your listeners some examples right from that opening chapter. Um, and and when you think in those terms, you realize that these these genres are different than we, what we normally think on the surface. For example, myth represents a journey to understand oneself and gain immortality. Memoir is not about the past. It's about creating your future. Fantasy is about finding the magic in the world and in ourselves to turn life into art. Detective fiction shows us how to think successfully by comparing different stories to learn what is true. And love stories, which I call the highest genre, love stories reveal that happiness comes from mastering the moral act of loving another person. 
So it, it, the, this book is very ambitious. I mean, I really was going for everything on this. Um, but, but, but just to give you some, some more of a, a realistic background of how this book came to be, and it, it is the product of 50 years of work and the last five years of writing. But, you know, for example, when I would go to conferences like like uh, the 20 Books Conference that, that Stephen was mentioning, um, you know, I, I talk to various writers and inevitably they tell me, they say, well, I know all about story. They say, well, I use three-act structure or I use the hero's journey or save the cat. Mm. And they think that's all they need. They're They're good. And here's the problem. And I really don't like telling them this which is that these books are fine for beginners, but they have very few practical story techniques in them. And, and certainly almost nothing that can tell them how to write at the professional level. And, you know, what, what, what writers sometimes forget, they know that, that it's a very competitive business, but they forget that we're talking about, and to be a a successful professional is we're talking about getting into the top 1% of writers. That's really hard. So when I wrote my, my first book, Anatomy of Story, my goal was to include all the professional story techniques a writer would need to write a best-selling novel or a screenplay that sells. But the one subject it does not cover in any way, which is now maybe the key to writing a hit novel is how do you write the different genres that make up 99% of storytelling today? Because right. this, is, this is what publishers buy. This is what they are in the business of. And that means that your success as a writer comes from mastering the structure of genres. And that means, first of all, mastering the 15 to 20 story beats that are unique to each form. So that's so in your yeah, go in ahead. your opening chapter here, you you talk about how this book can be read on two levels. Yes. First, with that specific technical information, and then exploring the philosophical issues. So I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more about how those two intersect. Exactly. Um, it, the first half of each chapter goes through in great detail, as you pointed out. Um, exactly what the beats are in that particular genre and how you hit those beats, how you execute those beats, because that's what you have to start with. Without that, you, you're nowhere. You're not even in the game. But that only gets you to step one, because that's what everybody else in your genre is doing. So the question arises, how do I set myself apart from the crowd? And the key to that is in expressing the life philosophy that is buried in each one of these genres. Because we think of genres as plot forms, and they are, they are plot systems. What most writers don't understand is that each genre is also a theme system. And theme is probably the most misunderstood of all major aspects of writing. You know, most I would agree writers, with that That's very, yep. very strongly. <laughs> yep. They don't Absolutely. know what it is. They think yeah. it's subject matter. It's not subject matter. Theme is your, you as the writer, your expression of your view of the right way to live in this. I, I saw that. I underlined that. And I was like, okay, this is a topic for a big discussion because <laughs> I have thoughts on that, but I don't want to like derail the subject right now, but I am hoping we can go back to that sure. a little bit well, later. Let, let, let me explain. Let me explain why writers have a problem. It, they they think that that when you talk about theme, it's like sending a message to the audience, and you know it's the old Samuel Goldman line: if you want to send a message in a movie, send it uh, send it Western Union, meaning don't preach to the audience. And he's absolutely right about that. So what writers do is they're afraid that they're going to do that. So they back off of theme completely. And they've just made a massive mistake because what the audience is really craving and why they come back to that particular genre again and again is not because they want to be surprised by the plot beats. They know what the plot beats are. They've seen hundreds of them. 
No, what they come back for is the underlying theme, the life philosophy that's being expressed. But here's the difference between average writers and really advanced writers, the, the most successful writers, is the successful writers know how you express theme under the surface, through the structure, through the plot beats. So you don't preach to the audience in the dialogue. That's the kiss of death. But if you can do it under the surface, if you can sneak it in and really dig into the deepest issues that that genre is dealing with, then you're going to give the audience a set of values that they want to live by, that they believe in. And then every time they see a story in that form, those values are reaffirmed. That's why they come back to that form again and again. And then what it's incumbent upon you as the writer to not only express that deeper theme, that deeper life philosophy, but to do it in a way to transcend, to do it in a way that the, the audience has never seen before. And that's what I talk extensively about in the book, which is how do you transcend each of these genres so you write something that is not generic, that is something only you could write, and that is therefore a unique work of art, and the audience has to come to you to get it because nobody yeah. else can do it. Yeah, I think, so, um, of course, you go into a lot more detail on that, like, Right now, this is the surface level discussion, so it might not totally click inside our listeners. You know, all our listeners might not totally understand and conceptualize what it is you're saying. But um, in previous episodes, we've also talked about theme as an emotional, the thing that matters that you you, you care about the the characters, but it's that deeper underlying emotional thread that ties and unites and means and matters more than just what's happening in the moment. Right. And so that would be another way, uh, maybe a simplistic way of looking at, you know, this mind action sort of philosophical way yes. of expressing, you know, ideas where I, struggle a little bit is that you say that theme is essentially the author's view of the best way to live. And what I, I struggle with that because in many instances, as a writer, what gets put into the story isn't my idea of what's the best way to live or as it would be represented in this genre, but what is right for that character in that story, in those circumstances. And I find there's just a small bit of danger of imposing, of, of saying this is the author versus this is the author's idea of what's right for this character because we already struggle so hard of getting the audience to separate author from creation. And so to come right out and say, this is the author's view of the best way to live. To me, that's terrifying. I'm like, no, just because it's in print doesn't mean that I'm saying that this is how I think it should be done. This is what that character thinks should be done. So I wondered if you could explain a little bit about that as well. Sure. What you're talking about is the difference between a moral vision and a moralistic vision. I'm not arguing that 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 one thing that you express in that particular story is the way for all people to live. You're absolutely right. It is you're you're trying to show because remember, a, a work of fiction is tracks in 99 percent of the time tracks the growth of the character. Well, what do we mean by growth? Well, partly it means their emotional growth, but it also means their moral growth. It means it means their ability to understand how to live with other people in the world. Because in the beginning of the story, if they have a moral flaw, they're hurting other people. And so over the course of the story, we watch as they learn to become, they mature, they become a better person. Now, they do that the way story works in terms of beat for beat throughout the story is they do it primarily by making mistakes. And, and what they do is they, we set up a goal for them to go after, and then we show them taking more and more extreme methods to get there. And what we're trying to do is highlight what is the cost of what you're trying to get? Because we all have in our lives, we have these goals of success we want to get to. But the question is, 
Can you do it right? Can you do it the right way without hurting others? And so you're absolutely right. We're talking about what is best for that character in that situation. But that's simply a more relativistic concept of moral code. And I don't don't know if you've had time to, to read this particular chapter, the chapter on crime, but the chapter on crime goes very deeply into moral code and this moral argument that is being made in really good stories. But it talks about this sequence by which you express this moral growth of the character, of this particular character. Now, an interesting thing going off of what you were just talking about, one of the reasons that love story is such a profound form is that it's the only form where at the end of the story, we don't just have a self-revelation for the hero. And usually in in a really good stories, that is not just psychological, it's also a moral self-revelation for the hero. You also have it for the main opponent. And who is the main opponent in a love story? It's the lover. And in really good love stories, each learns from the other. Each learns the best of the other. Each learns that, you know, their attempts to live in this relationship by going after their own power, gaining control in the relationship, they realized, no, the, 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 that's why I was, uh, I was reading that the thing right from the opening chapter, which is it's about great love stories about learning how to do the moral act of loving another person. And in, in great love stories, that usually implies learning to sacrifice some of what I want so that my partner can get some of what they want. And this is just one of the reasons why I I talk about love story last as the highest genre. So that kind of brings us around to another foundational concept of this book, which is that it used to be where you could write a single in a single genre and meet those genre expectations and everything would be fine and dandy. But now as stories have started to become more complex and available in a lot more more formats, it's not enough to just write in a single genre. And that the strongest stories these days are those that mix genres or pull from three or four genres and hit all of those same highlights. And you go to great lengths in this story to sort of show how different genres complement each other. And I wondered if you'd like to speak a little bit about that. Sure. In in the opening chapter, I talk about the foundation idea, which is that there are three unwritten rules by which the entire entertainment business, and that includes publishing business, but both novels, film, and television operate. The first is that it's a genre world and you you have to know and be able to execute your genre and the genre beats, the plot beats, as as well as anyone else working in that form. Uh, Unwritten rule number two is that to be successful in popular storytelling today, you need to combine two to four genres. Now, this is a relatively recent trend in the history of story. By recent, it comes from the original Star Wars. Original Star Wars changed the entire landscape of novels, film, and television because we went from a single genre stories to multi-genre stories. And, And this process has been intensified over the last 30 years because in the last 30 years, there's been a major increase in plot density in every story medium, meaning instead of giving them one for the price of one, we're going to give them two or three for the price of one. Now, why is that for writers? Why is that so crucial? And this gets into the nitty gritty of how we do our jobs as writers, which is what that does is when you combine two or three or more genres, you are doubling or tripling the amount of plot in the same story. And because of this incredible emphasis on plot in every medium, 
this is this is why mixing genres is one of the absolute key rules for you to have the best chance of success. Now, uh, let me mention something else because I think this is important for your listeners to hear, which is that, and I've been working with thousands of writers over 30 years, The what separates the top 1% of writers from everyone else is the ability to construct complex plot. And unfortunately, at the same time, there are more techniques that go into plot than all the other major writing skills combined. And most writers simply don't know what all these techniques are. So they're kind of winging it. And if you have a sense of story, and many writers do, then that'll get you so far. But if you want to get into that top 1%, you've got to know all of these plot techniques. And the beauty of mixing genres is the plot techniques are, have already been worked out. There's 15 to 20 unique to that form. So when you take that 15 to 20 beats, combine it with two or three others, you've got 40 or 60 beats in the same story. Now you are operating at the highest level of writers writing plot in popular story today. So I think like from the perspective of a lot of listeners, and I know this would be a reaction I would have as well listening to this, is just sheer sense of feeling overwhelmed. Like it's hard enough to figure out a single genre and I'm just sort of getting my feet under me and that and now you're telling me I've got to master three or four genres and that would be quite off-putting or even um a little bit <laughs> intimidating yep here, and here, so to answer that in advance <laughs> I would just tell our listeners don't stress because the way that genre is broken down at least in this book you find that you're probably already writing in more than one genre. If you're including a love story in your cozy mystery, or if you are including thriller action, action or thriller elements in your, I don't know, comedy or whatever, you're already doing that. But what this book does is allows you to see specifically what the expectations and requirements and movements for that genre are so that you can take what already exists to its fullest, richest potential. So don't panic. It's I, I, would, I would second that, Taylor. Um, that's really why I wrote the book, to put down in great detail exactly what these beats are and the sequence that they normally come. At the same time saying, feel free to play with that sequence. That's Again, what one of the ways that you're going to separate yourself out from the crowd, but you're not going to be overwhelmed because I'm going to tell you every single one of those beats. And there's another reason that I want your listeners to be reassured. There's a very simple technique that you want to use for mixing genres, and it's absolutely crucial. When writers try to mix genres, if they don't know what they're doing, they can end up with story chaos because each genre has its own built-in hero, main opponent, desire line, and so on. Well, what you, and, and so what happens is you, you have too many heroes, too many opponents, too many desires, and all of these beats, and you don't know what to do with it. Well, here's the trick. You figure out what is your primary genre, and you use that to give you your main character, your main opponent, the single desire line, and the primary plot beats that must be in that story. Once you have that as your baseline, once you have that as your primary structure, then you look at some other genres that are right for that story idea. And you don't just willy-nilly take all of the plot beats from those other genres and shove it in. No, you pick the plot beats from those other genres that work with the main genre that you're using. But once you start with this idea of a primary genre, the other ones fall into place very clearly and very easily. So don't worry about it. So another another um, thing I think that could feel a little intimidating or overwhelming is terminology. I 
find, especially for myself, because I'm a very literal person, and if I can't understand exactly what something means, it turns everything that flows from that something into some a little bit vague and and fuzzy and cloudy. And what I'm noticing in even this discussion, but also what I'm seeing on the page, is that the terminology that you're using isn't an exact match for terminology that our listeners might be familiar with. We focus here uh, heavily on character. Character is the primary driver of everything, even though character is, I mean, plot is the story, but it has to feel as if the characters are the ones who are creating that story and not being driven by the plot. But in your work here, everything is focused on plot beats. So I was wondering if you could define for us a little bit what plot beats mean in relation to plot versus character, emotion versus, you know, events and so forth. Well, it's interesting that you pick that particular uh, question out because what I, in that 720 page book, I say that the, in my opinion, the single most important technique in all of story is that plot must come from character. And what that means, that means a lot of things. And I go into various ways that it means, various things that it means in the story. And it's different for each genre. But what it means is that we begin with the seven major structure steps that I talk about the anatomy of story. And those major structure steps start off with weakness, need, and desire. Those are character steps. That yes. is the flaw, the deep flaw of the hero. And it can be both psychological and moral, followed by what specifically the character wants. And those are primarily character beats. And that's if you start with those two, those two structural, structural elements, then you guarantee that any plot that you construct or any genre that you use with those plot beats is going to come from character and it's going to play out character. And basically what a good story is, is a character with a flaw has a goal that will then, plot will then be the vehicle for that character to grow. And so you're absolutely right. Character is the fundamental thing. What the, to put it another way, the problem that we're solving for is how do we fix the character? They're starting off in trouble with a weakness, and we want them to some way mature at the end, unless we're going to have a negative ending where they fall with a decline of the character, which is fairly rare. But the point is, we have to start with character because the plot is simply the vehicle for that to play out. And what plot beats are, are simply the story events of the character going after a goal. Now, one of the things that I talk about in the detective chapter is one of my favorite chapters, because detective story has the most complex plot of any genre. And so the techniques that are in that detective uh, story chapter are not only great for writing the most complex plot there is, but they're great plot techniques for plot coming from character. And yeah. in, in that chapter, I talk about what may be, in my opinion, the second most important technique or concept in all of story, which is almost all writers misunderstand what plot really is. What they think it is, is the character going after the goal as we track the steps, the action steps they take to reach the goal. That's what plot looks like to the reader. But in fact, plot is what the author and the main opponent, it's the grand strategy of the author and the main opponent to put the hero in the greatest trouble possible. And also, I like that. That's a really good way of describing it. Because what that changes everything. And that leads to maybe the third most important technique in the entire book, which again is in the detective chapter, which is when you try to figure out your plot, always begin by figuring out the opponent's plan. Because if you think in terms of plot as a grand strategy and not these single obstacles that are unconnected, a grand strategy, it, 
that is determined by the opponent. So what you do is you figure out what is the grand strategy the opponent is going to do to defeat the hero. And then what you do is you track the hero taking action steps to overcome that grand strategy. If you do it in that order, I guarantee you your plot will be so much better and so much easier. And you avoid this incredible pain that most writers have in trying to come up with a, a plot that not only works, but that is linked under the surface. That is not this episodic single event type of plot. Right. And our listeners will be should be familiar with all of that terminology. We've talked about the difference between episodic and and non-episodic stories and how it's a single unifying thread of continuity that ties that can tie many separate and seemingly disconnected events together as long as they're guided by that specific unity of thought and and intent so we're already familiar with the danger of episodic writing and I think if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, when we talk about all these plot beats and and the structures, the variant forms of structures that are laid out in this story, it's with the understanding that that's a map, but ultimately it's the characters. It's, it's helping us figure out how to hit all the high points and the low points and take our characters on their journey. And we need all of that. Otherwise, it's going to be boring and nothing's going to to really engage us. But it's the emotional threads and the underlying current that that exists within the characters that brings all of those plot beats to life. And it's a little bit easy to miss that when we're talking or, you know, focusing on the plot and the genre and the connection, but this is not the first book. The first one, like John Trivi said, is focused entirely, really heavily on character and what's driving character and how to unify character to plot. So I'm just saying this like to to make it easy to understand if you've been following these classes, discussions, whatever, for a long time, here's how we unify the two thoughts, unify the different languages. We're saying the same thing using slightly different words. Exactly. So I was also kind of interested by the way that you broke down the different genres. And I was joking with Steve before you got on, and I was like, I'm about to pick a fight with John. Mm I seriously was joking though, but it's because okay. you 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 break down the genre, and I think quite astutely as well. But you, I'm of course being the center of my own story and everything revolving around me. Immediately, do what you suspected readers would do, which is flip to their genre. Yep. First, and my genre happens to be thrillers, which are a little bit of a gray area. Even in the book world, there's a lot of discussion or debate of how do you separate a thriller from suspense and whatnot. And what I noticed in, in this intro here is you lay out 14 major genres, but then you combine some of them. So initially, memoir is separate from coming of age, but then it gets combined into a single sort of these both work more or less the same way with a few differences. And then you do the same with detective and thriller. And as I was reading through the the segment on detective and thriller, part of me is going, yes, I agree, I agree. And then going, absolutely not, <laughs> under no circumstances. And what I think is happening here is it's an issue of definition. In the novel world, the world of books, what I write clearly fall under thrillers. But under the framework that you've built out for this story, the, for, for teaching about the different forms of story and genre, they, my what I write would fall closer to action. So I think it's interesting in the sense that you know, don't if you're if what you write doesn't neatly fall into the label, the same label in this work as it would in the book world, uh, don't 
trip up over that. Just find the one that fits, I guess. But I'm curious to know why you chose what you chose. Like, I know there was a very strong logic behind it. And I also know that Hollywood, which is your primary, primary, has been your primary focus in story for so many years, is slightly different than novels in terms of genre expectations or um, what genres are and so forth. So anyway, I just, I just wanted your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, First of all, genres are inherently vague. The differences between them, we tend to think of them as these very distinct units. But in fact, uh, they they are very broad, very fluid forms. And as I mentioned in the opening chapter, they they tend to, many of them are part of a family. And one of the reasons that the crime family, which consists of crime, thriller, detective, and gangster, are very tricky for writers is because they often confuse them. And why? It's because each of those genres, while distinct, has certain similarities as well as certain differences. So if you're not really careful and you're trying to choose what is going to be my primary genre for this story idea, you can make a mistake and take that story down a very wrong path. So this is one of the dangers that I try to warn writers about. Also, your point about you know, Hollywood and film. First of all, where I would where I would slightly push back on that, and, and I think Steve was mentioning that at the beginning, um, The Anatomy of Story is not a screenwriting book at all. Uh, it is a book of story. It is how to write a great story in any medium. And I use examples from all of the mediums uh, as examples in the, in, in the book. And uh, I'm most known for my connection to Hollywood, but my my techniques of story are for all story forms. Now, having said that, genres are affected by the medium. So the way these major genres work in film is different, not a lot, but it's different in some ways from novel and is different from television. For example, television changes the, in some, some cases radically changes how the same genre will work in TV versus film. And so the, all of that comes into play. Now, your, for your particular example, you said, well, I write thriller and I've always written thriller, but I'm thinking basically based on what is in this book that I'm doing a lot of action. Well, that's because the the action thriller is a major combination form. It is very popular and very successful in all mediums. So, and they, and also, um, I talk about in the book. I talk about this spectrum of what where genres fall. And on one end of the spectrum are learning, primarily learning stories. And the other end of the spectrum are primarily action stories. Now, thriller and and detective are more toward the learning stories. Crime is right in the middle. And again, crime is often together with action. Um, But one of the techniques when you're combining genres, when when you're writing a thriller, is to combine with action because it opens it up. Thriller is actually, if you break it down, thriller is a combination of detective and horror. And what that means is horror makes it very tight. It's a very tight form. And it can be very a bit claustrophobic. And so when one reason that thriller writers like to combine with action is because it gives you a lot more freedom and it gives you a much broader expanse um, over which you can tell the story. And it really opens it up for your readers. So I would again say, don't worry about the terminology and so on, like, oh, well, you know, I don't really agree with that particular definition. You know, most of it is semantic. To tell you the truth, what what most of these genres are defined by primarily, there are a lot of factors that define them. But the most important one, the way you can figure out what is, what is the primary genre in my story this for this story idea it's what's my hero's goal, the hero's desire. Again, going back to character, but 
that desire has more effect on which is the genre that you're primarily playing in than any other element by far. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And then the the brief amount that I read is a long book, and I wasn't able to like do in depth on every single page. But from what I read, um, you know, it's it's spot on, and it hits just it's very clever in how it it blends and pulls from different aspects and ties them together. And I love it. And there's so much that I'm agreeing with in going, yes, absolutely. And, oh, that's so helpful. It's just that this happens to be my one area of specialty. And you know how that's, it's like when you're an expert on one thing and you're like, (laughs) you know, yeah. Um, and so like, you know, when it goes into talking about how with a thriller, the hero is usually untrained. It's an average person who sees something suspicious and looks into it, doesn't have the ability to fight, doesn't carry a gun. My mind's going well in novelization. We would consider that more suspense or uh, occasionally thriller. But for the most part, the thriller world that I walk in, you it's exactly the opposite, where the heroes are especially well-trained and they they have very much an ability to fight and they get thrown into these horrific situations where there's ticking bomb, high action, you know, high stakes, have to figure they do have to figure out who the bad guy is, usually as a precursor to stopping the bad guy, which is very similar to action. Yeah. And, uh, and what you so just defined, I what you just defined is classic action thriller. That is classic is, action okay. thriller. So that's that's what I was up against when I was like skimming. Let me read my part, and right, and right. so that's that's why I'm saying, don't get tied up in the terminology, yeah. because even if the label isn't exactly right, there will be something in this book that you're like, okay, so for the sake of this book, I'm not really looking at thrillers. I'm looking at action, and right. now let's bring in the thriller elements, if according to this book, if necessary, but right. it's all there. Yeah. Well, and and that's part of the drawback of which I think almost all readers are going to do with this book is they're going to go to their one main genre that they think that 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 is their main form, and which is great because you have to become an expert at that first. That is absolutely essential. But that what that means is if you're not if you don't read the other chapters at some point, that you're not going you're to have the ability to mix the genres which you also need to do. So that is 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 kind of a two two jobs that you have there. One is be the master of my main form, but also know a good deal as much as you can about some of the other genres, especially in your that genre family. Family, so that, yes. So you can pull some of the other genres and other. You know, because all of these genres have great bits. They have great elements. So you want to pull from, you know, I talk in, when I'm talking about gangster, I, I, I talk about the fact that in The Godfather, you know, this is, this is a mixed genre story. It's not just a gangster story. But there is one scene in the movie that is completely from horror. That's when Michael goes to the hospital. You know, if they didn't know the beats and the techniques of horror, they couldn't have written that scene. Right. Yes. And and I think, like, as authors, I think we have a tendency to already um, include or embed aspects of other genres into our work without even realizing that that's what we're doing because we're doing what is right for this story. Yep. And so if... If you do, like I did originally, and go, oh, absolutely not, thriller, blah, 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 and you focus so much on the terminology, you miss the opportunity to realize, well, okay, that's sure, that's what they're calling it when they try and market it. But if you look deeper, I'm really writing in action, and by realizing, okay, action is my main genre, but now let me understand this other version of thriller and make sure I'm actually pulling in those aspects correctly. It gives you the opportunity to enrich in without, without like getting all freaked out or complicated, you know, making it too much in your head where you're like, and I got to do this and I got to do that. It's, it's an, a learning opportunity to say, here's how these work. And you can look at what you've already got and go, Hey, 
I've got that already. Let me see how I can twist it just a little, tweak it so that it actually fulfills those expectations more. And you, it actually can give you a path to taking what you're already working on and without a lot of structural change or a lot of much of anything, enriching it and deepening it and making it that much more. So it's not like, oh, you have to learn all of this stuff so that you can now create this really complex thing. It's more like learn all of this stuff so you can apply it to what the complexity you've already created. And maybe there will be something in there more for you that will give you that edge. Take it just a little bit further. Make it that much more special. Absolutely. I think that is such an important way to approach the book and a very important way to approach your storytelling, which is every story is unique. It's probably going to inherently within the idea have elements from various genres. The point of the book is not to say these are the beats, you must hit them and you must hit them in this order. No, absolutely. It's the opposite of that. These are the beats this is the classic order that they appear, but it is your job to do them in a different order, to do it that is to do it in a way that is unique, that's never been done before, and that is gets the most out of your unique story idea. That is above all the thing that you have to pay fealty to, which is my story idea is unique and my job is to make it as unique as possible so it's not like everybody else writing in this form. Exactly. And so like I know for me personally, because I'm a very literal, literal person and because if I'm given a list of rules, I will try my best to follow them. And then if I can't, I just get really frustrated to remember that this is not a book of rules just because it lays out and it says, here's how this structure, this genre structure and format works. It's not saying you need to follow this beat by beat. It's saying, here's what we've known to work. Now take from it what you can and see what you can fit to work with what you're already doing. Right. And and one thing I would add to that is is honor those those beats and the order that they come in. Honor it. That doesn't mean you have to do it, but they're there for a reason in that order. And basically, what these stories they in some cases they've developed over thousands of years. And why did they develop that way? Why these they, fourteen? It's they work. They work. And what does that mean? It means this is the, for the particular story problem that that main character is trying to solve. What is the most dramatic way to do it? That's why they're in that sequence. So you don't have to use that sequence, but just honor it in the sense of understand why it's sequencing that way. And then if you want to change that sequence, do so, but just make sure that you know that there's a very good reason for you to do that because what you're also doing is you're pulling from the what in the past has been the most dramatic way to tell that story. Well, it, it goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, you know, the the world as story. Um, I believe that that the future is going to give us a complete interconnection between life and story. And I believe that's a good thing because I feel that the more that story informs our lives, the more we can make the life we want to live. Because again, we are living our life story. So I believe that we're moving toward what I call a complete storification of the world. And what I mean by that is that, and in the last chapter I talk about this, it's, it's going to be a world of all genres all the time. And that's going to, we're going to have a lot of stories where 
literally all of the genres are present in that story. And we've already seen this to some degree in massive hit stories like the Harry Potter stories or Game of Thrones and so on, where we don't necessarily have all of the genres, we have a whole lot of them. And this just gives the ability for for the reader to come at that story and to appreciate that story in so many different ways. And even more so, it allows them to appreciate the wisdom, the life philosophy that each one of those genres brings to that story and brings to that reader's life. So I believe that the future of story is already here. I think that story is now, has already been the worldwide religion. And I don't mean that in a divisive way. I mean that as a a guide to how to live a good life, regardless of what culture you come from. And I call it the new poetics. And to me, that's a very beautiful future. So I'm very excited about it. And story also is the most effective way to communicate. If you're able to find that coherency in what you're trying to articulate, you basically create a story out of it in a way that someone else can understand through their own interpretation of that story. So what you're saying about how we are already headed, you know, we're already there. It's like this has already been an underlying foundation to human interaction for eons story is even if you're trying to communicate how to fix something or sell something or bake something the there's still this underlying coherency this unified form of thought that the more effective you are at being able to communicate that the better and more engaging and more uh <sighs> just big it will be to those who are participating. And so for those of our listeners who aren't actual writers, but just listen because they follow me or whatever, there's probably a lot in this book that could help with just everyday life stuff, help in learning how to communicate more effectively in business correspondence. It's not quite built for that, but the underlying concepts of being able to to blend story and life and and how story is is life that there's just so much there i think that just as as a general rule if everyone understood story and how story works whether they were storytellers or not we'd have such an easier time communicating with each other to communicate ideas or concepts effectively because we have story as the basis for that expression. I couldn't agree more, Taylor. I think, you know, story is the way we communicate and connect and form a community with each other. And whether you're a writer or not, uh, story is is how you live this life with other people and, and live it well. And so even if you're not a writer, that's what this book is for. It's, 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 the wisdom that story can bring us, it's the wisdom that each of these genres brings us. Um, and I think that the more you know about story and these particular genres, the types of stories, uh, the better your life will be. I, 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 that's a grandiose statement, but I, I totally believe it to be true. That's okay. I was just going to ramble. <laughs> Steve, can can you can you tell your listeners? Uh, can I tell the listeners about where they can get the book? Absolutely. Yeah, it's just... it's it's getting a lot of heat. It really is. It's. it's... Steve, it's astonishing to me as well, but I think that it, it, the word is already out and I'm very excited about it. But but if you want to get the book, um, just go to Anatomy of Genres. That's all one word, anatomyofgenres.com. Yep. And there will be links links there that people can follow yep. to wherever. Oh, perfect. Any, any place you want to buy the book is going to be right there. And from what I understand the release based on when we're recording when the show will release the release date if you're listening to this show 
on the oh so the book is out now right that's right awesome so you don't even have to wait you can just go get it right after listening so yay It's been such a pleasure talking with both of you, and I, I I so appreciate you going into the depth on this book and giving it so much respect and and care and love. And uh, it's just been a, a a treat for me to talk with you. All right, John is gone, and that was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Just listening to two story masters discuss story was a lot of fun. Uh, and we I could really have kept it. going for. Hours, I think I I'm think, pretty I think sure. we could have, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we're recording this uh, the week of Thanksgiving, and so we're going to be taking next week off. So we're not going to be here next week, but we will be here the following week. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Hopefully, it's kind fingers of crazy crossed. time of year. Yeah, we'll we'll be here the following week. But uh, we thank you guys for listening, uh, and we will be back in your ear in two weeks and in the meantime check out john's book because it really i was gonna say check out yeah check out john's book it's fascinating it's well written and uh it's fun actually well at least it was for me i'm maybe a bit of a nerd on (laughs) but i thought it was fun so yeah we will uh yeah we'll see you again soon eventually um and uh i hope you're enjoying your winter season